There is no James chapter 6. You should know that. You should know that by now. You know, over our time together, I've tried to insert various psalms into our studies. After our one-year length in walking through the book of James, uh, I thought a psalms might be most profitable. We've already looked at Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 23, and Psalm 27. And by the grace of God, I trust that we're going to look at Psalm 139 today, or at least begin in that aspect of, of ministry. Um, the title of it in the Hebrew is, To the Chief Musician, A Psalm of David. And if you've ever read through the Psalms, you know that some of them are written for a certain occasion, like a feast, a festival, or like a victory over an enemy. Some of the Psalms were written something personal in David's life, uh, something that occurred not so nice, and something that occurred that was joyous and happy uh, in all of those. In this Psalm, as you look at it, though, as we will look at it, it seems like it's not written for any special occasion. It's simply a psalm that was established with truths about the wisdom and the knowledge and the presence and the judgment of God. Um, And a lot of Jewish commentators from long past had looked on it and said, this is probably one of the most beautiful psalms ever written. We like like Psalm 23 or, or some of the others, but this psalm contains some fantastic truths. What I find interesting is the fact that these psalms were sung, a psalm, song. And in singing, uh, even we do this today for children to memorize, and I think we know the words of a hymn that we sing a lot. We memorize because it's sung, it's repeated. And it was done in such a fashion that God had presented these truths to David, and they sang them. And it brought forth tremendous grace in the eyes of the people to see, this is my God. And it helped them to memorize it, to understand this relationship that they had with God and how they ought to be living and how they ought to be acting. When I think so much of contemporary Christian music today, the popular choruses, the 711 song, seven words sung 11 times, you know, I think they present a lot of froth, like foam, you know, and it doesn't establish truths that will stand the test of time in their lives or in history. I think a lot of them will simply disappear. And it's just not our music, but in essence, the very teaching and digesting of God's word, grabbing a hold of things that are presented and and God saying, this is my word to you. I want you to learn it. We've all memorized uh, Paul's encouragement to Timothy and in all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It is profitable. It is profitable. It profits us in the matter of doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And then Paul says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That he's completed. That he's provided with every avenue to an establishment of every aspect of life. And I think this psalm is of real benefit for that. I'm afraid, though, that we, even all of us here this morning, can often take an easy path with our knowledge to God. 
We take a path riding on the coattails of our salvation. This is a day in my history that I came to know Jesus as my Savior, and I've, I have a memory verse here and a memory, and I've had this experience and so forth. And therefore, we become satisfied with our status quo. And yet our status quo doesn't stand the war that's ongoing in our own souls and the war that's going on in the world around us. So it's my prayer as we come to this psalm that the words will create a fresh understanding of the one who is our creator and our sustainer, the one who is our redeemer, the one who offers himself in his word and provides us with truth. So instead of James 6, how about you look at Psalm 139 and just follow along as I read the first six verses. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me, Thou knowest my down-sittings and my uprisings. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compass me, my path, and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my, in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and lain thy hand upon me, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Father, we thank you as the time in our worship here today is an approachment and handling with the love and care that your word deserves. Not because your servant presents it, but because it is the word of God. And may the truths that are presented be faithful to the intent of your author, of of David, in his own experience, but exactly what the Holy Spirit would have us to learn. May we grab grab an an understanding of you that we've never even considered before. May the truths benefit and bless our hearts. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, there seems to be a considerable concern in our day about privacy. Security cameras everywhere. Uh, The matter of, of taking my phone and typing out a text message or sending an email and thinking that somebody's there and he's going to, ah, this is what he's writing or this is who he's writing to or this information is there. The risk of email searches and documented principles of calls and text available to anybody. The TV shows I watch, I've got an app. Our, our shop right is closing right next to us here, you know, and I got an app on my phone where I can, you know, look down at what it is and, and they know. And, and when I shop with my ShopRite card, you know, all of a sudden, well, he likes to buy this and, that, and they'll send me a coupon for this or that, you know. Same with my drugstore, you know. There's, there seems to be a continuing oversight of these things. With that very picture, so many people plan their day by staying as hidden as, hidden as possible. Stay off the grid. Let me keep away from prying eyes. Big Brother is watching. Yet, greater security is clamored for when somebody escapes a prison and, and he's running all around. We're, we're coming down 95 and Mama says, we're not going to go home on, 
on Route 1 today, are we? You know, <laughs> just know, in case you didn't know, this prisoner is there by Longwood Gardens, you know, and he's running, and it goes right by Route 1. No, I'm not. We're not going to go there. You know, we're not dealing with that. We need greater security for this to protect these things, you know. And it's kind of interesting. Greater security clamored for when hijackers took three planes and ran them into buildings. You know, lives are lost. And so how much is enough? And when it comes to that fact, how much is too much? Consider our text today, if you would. Verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou hast searched me and known me. How well do you know other people? Probably we could say, how well do we know about other people? We all kind of know each other, some by the length of time that we've been acquainted with each other. We can know about each other, our likes, our dislikes, our tendencies to act this way or that. We can ask questions, kind of pry a little bit, open some doors in there, or we can just observe, you know. This is what these people do, or this couple, or this individual, and we draw our conclusions We evaluate and we analyze by the number of tattoos that they have, the car they drive, the people they hang out with, the language that they use. In essence, though, we know about them, but we don't know them. For us who are married, the longer we're married, it seems to be the ideal idea that the spouse kind of should know the the, the spouse, the other spouse, more than before as as time goes on. I think that's maybe an advantage but do we really know our spouses? Really know them? The movie has her yelling across the room. I thought I knew you. We're done. Get out of here. You're not the man that I married. Or vice versa. You know, something like that. You know, I thought I knew you. I thought I knew you. Do we really know ourselves? Do we really know who we are? Sometimes we think we know who we are, and yet oftentimes we are tainted by our tendency to be so unpredictable. I get so disappointed that I did this. I didn't want to, but I, you know, it just happened. I I, I didn't want to, but it it occurred, and I changed, and, and it becomes most difficult to even understand why I talked that way, why I said that, why I went there. I surprised myself. And the reason for that is, as, as Jeremiah puts it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do I know my own heart? Do I know the heart of the issues of life? And it is so unpredictable. It's from our dear father Adam and his dear wife Eve that provided such. But here in verse 1, David opens up with a marvelous confession of his soul. He says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. You know me, not about me, but you know me intimately. And the principle of using this searched me is really from David's reference point. He's not saying that God all of a sudden looks down and he says, I see David, you know, I'm looking, sin you. No, he knows about him all the time. 
But it's David's understanding. Lord, you understand these things. I wanted a hoagie. This is actually both of us. We were going to share in a hoagie this past Wednesday. And there's a favorite place not too far from the office. So I went online. And I was going to order it online. And uh, uh, ended up that you couldn't. Some part of their website was down. But I looked on the on the menu, and I says, here's a, a medium Italian with uh, all of the works, and I said, boy, that sounds good. You know. Did God know that I was going to order that? Of course. But you know what? I got there, and I looked up at the board, I said, there's a ham and turkey. Yeah, and I changed my mind. And in five minutes, I had changed my mind. And I walked out of there with a nice ham and turkey with all of the works, nice hot peppers too. It might have been a little too hot for someone else. Uh, But nonetheless, it was exactly what I walked out with. Did God know that I changed my mind? Within a few minutes of the change of those things that occurred, he surely did. He knew me thoroughly as if he examined me. Some would say, that's scary. I like my privacy, but that's, that's really scary. Him knowing all of those things. But whether I like it or not, it's reality. David goes on in more detail in verse 2. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. So when I sit down... He knew it. This is kind of insignificant, but it's an ordinary thing. But he knew it. And when I stood up, he knew it. He understood the most menial tasks of things that I'm involved in in my life. Every insignificant moment, everything that is a common and casual act, scratch my ear. Either put on my glasses or not. You know, adjust this or not. He, 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 he understands those things that sometimes we say these are just natural, natural reactions. You know, David says none of these things are disguised to him. None of these things are hidden to him. But then he continues on, you know, in presenting this as if nothing escapes him. The uh, U.S. military has some satellites from what I've read, that they can do imaging resolution down to five or six inches. In other words, from their height in the sky, they can pick out something five to six inches long. They probably can't read your house number, but they can tell if there's a a bicycle in your driveway. More detail, God has. David here reveals that not only were his movements known, But he says that even my thoughts, thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Every emotion, every feeling, every idea, every thought, every conception, every determination, every aim, every doubt, every motive, every confusion, every anxious moment is exposed to him. It's presented to him, visible or invisible, it's there. He sees it. It's an open book. We often do our best to hide our pride or our anger or our emotions or our hatred or our confusion to each other. 
and we'll do it with a smile. And we'll do it and try and present ourselves in such a fashion that you really don't know what's going on in my mind or in my heart. And yet do we realize at the exact same moment that such emotions and such feelings and such, such heart issues are presented disguised to each other that they're not disguised to him. He sees it without the cloaking. He sees it without the cover-up. He sees things as they truly are. We are fully exposed to him. And we think nothing about it. Our thoughts could be no more hidden from God than Adam and Eve thought. Yeah, yeah, let's grab some fig leaves and cover ourselves and hide in the bushes, you know. He'll never know what happened, you know. We're not too far away from them. Verse 3. Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. That word compasseth is an old English word, and I doubt, I'll almost guarantee that you've never used it, except for the reading of the text. It means to winnow or sift. You know, how about uh, the grain, what they used to toss it after it's dried, and the husk would blow away, and the grains would be left, they'd be out there in the field, and they'd toss it up and down. It's a close examination of the things that are there. He says, my, my path, which is, my, in essence, my activities, the things that I do, my movements and so forth, are closely examined by you. They're closely presented. And then even the other aspect of it, my lying down, my rest time, not escaped your gaze irrespective of where I am or what's taken place. It's been winnowed. It's been sifted. Again, away from the disguises or from the plans or the things that I thought and wanted to do or acted to do, God says, I see it. You know, sometimes as parents we see our little ones, you know, and they, those little cute a, day, a, ages and days, and, and they try and do something, and mom and dad says, we know what you're doing, you know. We see that, and God sees all of ours. Now, let me ask you this. Does this only refer to God's children? Are these three verses, the things that we've presented up so far of what David's analyzing of his relationship to God, are these three verses only for the children of Israel or for Christians, for us today, or is it that for the whole world? What thinkest thou? You know, it's for everyone, isn't it? This may be the most amazing truth, but of the 8 billion people that are located on our globe called Earth, there's nothing that escapes his gaze. There's nothing that God is caught off guard or is befuddled with or the sudden changes of their thoughts or their actions. He says, oh, man, I never expected that one. You know, that one caught me by surprise, you know. Eight billion people. Nothing escaped it. Nothing caught him off guard. Irrespective of their age or their station in life, no matter who's on the throne, no matter what the farmer plants, no matter what the finger on the trigger is, no matter what takes place, regardless of our perceived outcome. And that's important. 
Because we perceive an outcome for people and their actions and their statements, but God says, I see things most clearly in every situation. He sees to it that all goes according to his perfectly wise plan. Our plans get thrown to the meat grinder at times, don't they? Man, I planned this coming week to do this, and by the time that week ends, what happens? Prayer was set up for our, our grandson, Teddy, and, and uh, he went to school. The first day of school was all excited, and boy, he had some stomach pains. And I wrote, Jeff and I says, was it a matter of just nerves for going back to school? You know, 12, almost 13, and he says, no, it wasn't. He had some pains. And they took him to the local hospital, and they did all these exams and so forth, and scans and, and this and that, and they couldn't find anything. So they, uh, in essence, shipped him to Hershey Medical Center, which has a pediatric unit that was great, and they did some more. And he says, appendix, you know. And uh, uh, his blood pressure was high, he had fever and so forth, and, and they went ahead and they did the little, you know, and, and it was done, and he's home. You know, but all of the plans up to that point, well, the kids are going to school, everything like that, and all of a sudden, everything gets changed. You know, Now we take care of the other kids. Who's going to take them to school? Who's going to do this? What about my job? And what about all the other things? And nothing escaped, even to the place where the surgeon at the Hershey Medical Center says, Coleman, I recognize that name. Come to find out her children go to the same school that Teddy goes to. That's that they knew each other all along. So nothing escapes in the world of the world in which we live, and everything goes according to his perfectly wise plan. Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, and the Lord God called unto Adam, said unto him, Where art thou? (laughs) Was it hide and seek? Come on, Adam, where are you hiding? You know, no. He knew all along where those things were. The next chapter in Genesis, the Lord said unto Cain, where's your brother? Was he ignorant of what took place? Was he ignorant of the blood of of Abel? You know, no. He understands everything in all situations, in all kinds, in all areas. They are perfectly done. And I believe that this was David's confidence in his own life and also in the world in which he lived. His confidence, and it didn't excuse David from doing the things that he was doing or the sin that he fell into or the times that he worried. Because you read the other Psalms and you see, Lord, why? Or, oh, I'm pained by this. It doesn't excuse it. But the fact of the matter is, by this very statement that God makes to him and he writes it down, This was his confidence. God knows the casual things, everything. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting, my uprising. Thou knowest my thoughts from afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. And David says, Thou... That is fantastic. That is, that is my confidence in my own life, but in the world in which I live. And it didn't stop the invasion of this army, and it didn't stop the betrayal of his, of his own sons and, and all of the other conflicts that existed, but 
God is working in all things because he is God. Now, if there was any doubt as to anyone's mind how David stood, he presents in verse 4 another picture of his understanding of Jehovah God. He says, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Yow! Two things to note here. First, God has the knowledge of the words before they are spoken. God knows the words even before. He says, he says, in my tongue, not on my lips, not presented out, but those words that are there. And that's the easiest expression that David can make. You know, those that are he, he knows them. And then secondly, he presents unto this in this verse that God has a thorough and complete knowledge of our words. He knows them all together. Completely. He understands them all. Knowing my words before they speak, well, that's not possible. This is some magic trick, you know. Maybe some guy says, I think somebody in here is thinking about, you know, pick out those words. No, this is no mumbo jumbo. Yet if God says that he knows them, with our mouths and the results that are going to come out with our minds, it's from our thoughts. Because where do our words begin? Where do the words begin? They begin within our, our minds, our hearts. You know? And so as a man thinketh, so he is. What did Jesus condemn? And he presents the, the clarity as far as the, the commandments are concerned. He says, if a man look upon a woman with lust, he has already committed adultery. Yeah, that's in the mind. That's, that's, you know, if he hates the man, he's a rock eye, you know. He's done it within his heart because it became from the heart to the thoughts and from the thoughts to the words. But what if he can't speak? What if he has no tongue? Still the same because God says, I know the words before they've even been presented. I know what your thoughts are. The evaluation of your words are only, sometimes we would say, the fatal expression. I've put my foot in my mouth. I never should have said that. But you bore it within your heart. That's the argument. This is not some mystical hocus-pocus mind reader. It goes to the very depths of the heart. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is, says Solomon. The fact that God knows the words we are about to speak should cause us to think carefully about our speech and our thoughts. Our words ought to be from our hearts, seated with wisdom and beautiful, healthy words, words to the edifying. And that's not a common misunderstanding. You know, throughout Scripture, uh, the, the principles of the words that we use are presented Old and New Testament. How often have you blurted out something, shot from the hip as it were, a word or words that, wow, you shocked yourself, it even came out. and didn't even understand why it was even said. My brethren, be assured that God wasn't at least surprised, caught off guard. And it doesn't mean because God knew it and I said it that I'm innocent of the verbiage. He says, I know you said it. 
in your mind, in your thoughts, in your heart, when you said it, but we're going to be held in account for every word that's presented. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. The presentation of those things, the foolish stuff that comes out of our mouths from one fashion or another, going to be an accounting of that. You and I may not always know what we will say, but God does. So our words should be right in his sight. When we think about the heart, if my heart becomes right, then all of a sudden it's going to translate to my thoughts and from my thoughts to my words. And so if I'm filling my heart with those things that are honorable and true and faithful and godly, what's going to come out? We've all known people in our lives, people we've rubbed shoulders with. And, and you know, I can just think without mentioning names. I know some people that they, you refer to, they're dear saints. And, and what came out of their mouths in situations were just thoughts of beauty or thoughts of encouragement. The Apostle Paul writes, let your speech always be gracious, meaning giving words that indeed uh, are not necessarily deserved, but gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, all that this matter of a loss of privacy, with God's sovereign oversight in David's life, how did David feel? He makes this confession and he writes it down, you know? I mean, it's one thing to think about it, but he writes it, God, God you know, you know when I sit, you know when I stand, you know my thoughts, you know the words before they come out of my mouth. You've invaded my privacy, you know? You've really pushed it. How does he feel? Verse 5, Thou hast beset me behind and before, and hast laid hand upon me. It almost sounds like if David's trapped. You know, in the front and in the back, and it's just all around you, laid your hand upon me. This word beset is a reference to laying of siege to a city, entirely surrounding it, and hemming it in so that there is no possible escape. That's the truth, though, isn't it? David's examination from this earthly, limited standpoint says, you've got me all around. Front and back, yeah. But in essence, left and right, top and bottom, everything. If you know it all, I am hedged in. I'm bound in. Nothing escapes your gaze. You completely know it all. God knew him, his thoughts, his words, before they even came out of his mouth, his feelings, his emotions. He knows everything. But he reveals this to David, not to limit him, but to make him acceptable. He's not doing it as a, as a judgment. But he's saying, David, I'm doing this to protect you. I'm putting my thoughts to you in this principle that you know that I'm here for you. That I care for you in everything that what nobody knows, but I know. Well, you know, we can say it. I know your thoughts and your words. I know where you go. I know all of these aspects. And I do this. You know, you beset me behind, before, and laid a hand upon me. 
June 3rd of 1980, nine tornadoes ripped through four counties in western Pennsylvania. Uh, Millie and I were on our way with Jeff uh, to the Apollo Church. That was our summer uh, trip to, to serve there while I was in school. And we arrived there a number of weeks afterwards as I served the church there for the summer. And we saw devastation. I mean, hillsides and just a swath of trees just, whew, just moved out of the way. After a number of weeks, one of the dear ladies of the church brought us over for dinner. And her house sat fairly close to the road. And she had pines this side on the back and up the other side. Uh, the high school was behind her. And she says, we knew it was coming. And she says, I got on my knees and I prayed. And she says, I had faith and trust that God would preserve me. And she showed me, we went outside, and on this side of the house, there's the pines twisted, like you would taste a, a straw, just like this. And on the other side of the house, there's the pines twisted, but not one touched the house. She says, it came down, it hit these trees, it jumped over the house, and got the other trees and went on. Then here she says, I had such a peace about that, that he was on the front of me and on the back of me and on my left side and my right side, and that I was protected. And that doesn't always mean it's going to occur like that, but it becomes such a valuable truth in the life that we live. He says, I was on my knees praying, and yet I had such a peace about me that it was indescribable. And it was only evidenced in what was there that took place in her house. God has protected us from behind and in front. He's protecting us from the troubles and the trials of yesterday, as well as those things that we face today or in the future. We will face adversity, but we will not face them alone. David writes that he has laid his hand upon me to rule me, to oversee my life, to uphold me, to protect me, to restore me, to make me to grow and to walk in his ways, to keep me from falling in my afflictions, in my despair. Which brings us to verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is too high, I cannot attain unto it. Can you understand it? These, these first verses, these first four verses, really, uh, my thoughts, my words, my emotions, my feelings, my every moment, can you understand that there is, a, and I, I refer to it just simply, the, a power, I mean, it's God, that oversees the universe in such a fashion that the hair on the head is numbered. The sparrow from the nest falls. He knows it. And he knows us intimately. So what does he say? This knowledge is too wonderful for me. I, I can't attain to it. And we can't. Because we're on this, this lower level, you know, with, with limited minds and limited thinking and, and, and not the power of time and space as God does. But he presents himself, he gives us a glimpse, he opens the door a little bit, and allows us to see just a taste of who he is. And he says, David said, that's, that's sufficient for me. This is what I can't. 
Obviously, the world cannot understand it. They create the graven image with eyes that can't see, with mouths that can't talk, with ears that can't hear, and they bow down themselves, presenting unto this idol the fact that everything that our God does, their God does too, with, well, with some exceptions, but that's their fault. But because I can't comprehend something, does that make it not true? I understand electricity. And some of you who are know a little more electricity, I understand that I plug in and it goes to here and I turn the switch and, and I know and, and if I were to cut those wires, I can't see those little electrons going and I, I don't understand. But does that mean because I don't understand it, it, it doesn't work? No. If I put my finger in the one place, I know it's going to work. You know, it's going to light me up. If I don't understand everything about that God presents of himself, does that mean it's not there? Hardly, because I cannot comprehend, which the world cannot. They refuse to accept our creator, and they dismiss the reality of a creation and a creator. The world that cannot comprehend life at conception validates their sin in so many ways to the life giver. But not for David, it's a reality. How God knows him as deeply as he does, can't be comprehended without faith. The invisible. And that's the principle of faith. Not knowing what it is, and yet accepting the reality of the the sprinkling of that which has been revealed unto us. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, confesses, so that we, that I cannot grasp it, I can hardly endure to think of it, the theme overwhelms me, I am amazed and astonished at it, such knowledge not only surpasses my comprehension, but even my imagination. You burn out thinking about it, you know. But he doesn't want that. So why is it too wonderful? Why is it too wonderful? I ask myself that. Why would God love such sinners as me? As he's presented himself in all of his holiness. And we sometimes get by, well, says, you know, God loves me. He just loves me, loves me, loves me. But do we understand the depth of the depravity of that which we are as human beings? And how could such a God who knows all of these things accept me in the beloved? How could that take place? Knowing that, you know, knowing that I will do something, or knowing what I've done, what I'll do today, and what I'm going to do, and he still loves me. That he can comprehend, he can know the words that I say And knowing the thoughts that I have, and he says, I still can accept you. It's mind-boggling. He desires to redeem me for his own glory, for his own purpose, for his own work, by grace. A perfecting work, molding and shaping me like his son, my Savior. So that's the only way he can do it. The only presentation of this relationship can only be not by me, but by his son, who perfected everything that is expected of us in himself. The work of Christ upon the cross 
accepted by the Father as that judgment which we deserved, even today, even as we have done. It's too wonderful for me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Take your hymnal, if you would, please, and open up Majesty Hymnal and open up number 353. the glasses for this one. Please note the words that our hymn writer presents here. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Search me. God, search me. You know, that ought to be a a prayer to begin my day. You know, I start the day with a clean slate. Those of you who are back to the days of chalkboards, you know, and get the kid who goes, you get assigned to clean the boards, you know, clean them off for the next classroom, you know. Clean them. Verse 2, I praise thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire where once I burned with shame. Grant my desire to magnify thy name. The only way it occurs is if he does that. Yes, the cleaning, the changing of my life. Then I praise him for that. And then the third stanza. Lord, take my life and make it wholly thine. Fill all my heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, myself, and my pride. I now surrender, Lord, to thee abide. It, it's not a one, one and done, is it? It's not a one and done process. It's a process that is a lifetime of experience. Of me presenting myself and seeing myself as a sinner. David saw himself in his life as evidenced throughout the scriptures. And that's one thing, you know. Uh, sometimes you like to write a good story about you know, myself, you know, and tell me what it is. But leave out the warts, you know. <laughs> Hide all of the imperfections. David didn't. It's all there for us to see. And so our lives are too. And so we say, Lord, this is our desire because I know you're watching. And it's not like, boy, I can get away with this. You know, why are all of not all of them anymore. It used to be all of the crimes are committed in darkness, you know. Nobody's going to see this. I'm going to do this, you know. But we sometimes think in the darkness of our minds that we can get away with things. He knows. He loves us. And the very revelation, the illumination of these passages, and there's more in this, in this psalm, um, makes me come to him and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Allow me to continue to have such a walk that I know you see me as I am and still love me. Shall we pray? Father, bless these seed thoughts to our hearts. And the only prophet comes, Father, when you will be the one to continue to work in us. Uh, Search us, Lord, daily. Our thoughts, you know them. If there's wickedness in there, tell us. 
bring us back to a path that's right. Allow us, Father, to have such a sweet fellowship with you that we would desire nothing more. All of that, the allurements that this world offers. May, Father, we find great delight in you and you alone. And as we have fallen, forgive us. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.